Have you ever wondered what it would be like to own your own firm? To be your own boss? To get a more equitable share of the firm's economics or even have your own firm named after you? I'm Adam Lay, Senior Editor at Private Equity International, and welcome to the latest edition of Spotlight, where today we're talking about spin-outs, particularly how to spin out. With me to talk about this is Carlo Pirizio Biroli, Managing Partner at Glendower Capital, a secondaries investment firm that spun out of Deutsche Bank in 2017. The firm manages almost $6 billion in total commitments and has offices in London and New York. Now, I've got to say, Carlo was pretty candid with me about the whole spinning out process, on everything from how those early conversations with colleagues go, to the joys and stresses of choosing new office furniture and setting up IT systems when you finally have your own firm. I hope you'll learn something from it, and if you want to read more about how to spin out, head to privateequityinternational.com and check out our December 2020 deep dive on the topic. The first question I had for Carlo was whether everyone who works in private equity has, at the back of their minds, the idea that one day they're going to spin out and set up their own shop. Is this true? I think private equity guys are fundamentally entrepreneurs, at least a lot of them, and they're always nurturing this idea that at some point they'll set up their own business. I would say sometimes a little bit too early, sometimes they're not brave enough to do that, or actually they realize that it's not necessarily the best thing for them or for the business. I think uh, we think the best driver for setting up the business and spinning out has to primarily be a business reason. And it has to be in the interest of your clients. Uh, if you have those two drivers in place and you can conjugate that with a strong entrepreneurial spirit and with a lot of experience, I would argue that best better spin out, at least in our experience worked out, having a full team in place, which has been working many years together. And, and actually, as a secondary guy, as having spun out ourselves, a number of GPs effectively uh, meant that, that by the time we implemented that process and utilized those tools in ourselves, it was fundamentally actually not too complex and uh, uh, gave us an ability to keep under control all the different moving parts that at, some, at times can be quite complex. It's interesting that you said that the fundamental reason should be a business reason. So not just kind of, I want my own firm, I want my own economics, you know, I, I want to have my name on the door or something like that. It actually should be rationale for your investors and make sense for anyone who's going to come and back you. It should be all of the above. You can't spin out just because you want it if you don't have your client support or if actually it does not make business sense or if in fact it's not in a creative solution in terms of being in a better position to attack the market opportunity set or to provide a better service to your clients. So all parts have to come to fall in place together. And ultimately, the result has to be fundamentally creative across all, the, all those dimensions. Before we go on, a little definition. What does the term spinning out actually mean? If you leave your firm with a buddy and set up your own shop, is that spinning out? Or do you have to take assets with you? According to Carlo, the term means different things in different situations, but it does imply a separation. He called this a rebirth, extricating a team from an existing platform which could be with or without assets. It could also be just a few individuals leaving a firm after complying with their internal guidance, starting from scratch on the back of their reputation. I would say that is probably the hardest way. I would not necessarily recommend doing that in the current conditions with COVID-19 and working remotely from home because it is really complex even under ordinary circumstances. But the other extreme is where you spin out the team, the assets, the funds, the business, everything. And that could actually carry its own complexities, 
particularly if you have existing funds where uh, you have to go through amending limited partnership agreements involving LPs. LPs have to go to their investment committees. So the degree of complexity of a full surgical carve-out could be quite complicated. Yeah, how do you approach kind of making that initial conversation with either you're speaking to the LPAC or you're speaking to one LP, you may be your largest LP, and you let them know, hey, we're thinking about going it alone. How do you approach that? I would say each approach is different, also depending on how many LPs you have and what the different circumstances. In general, I would say from a criteria perspective, I would say what always pays off is having a direct, you see what you get kind of approach. Now, if you approach LPs too early, it might be not necessarily accretive. Investors in general don't want to necessarily be involved into what solution we need to put together. They want to be offered a solution or more solutions to look at and react to those. It has to be done absolutely in conjunction together with the platform from which the team is living in a coordinated effort and having involved the different functions, which are not just the business and the commercial side, but also the legal and compliance and administrative functions, because actually some of the complexities sometimes is associated with the details and making sure you comply with all the different re- regulatory requirements. But in general, mm-hmm. uh, whether you start with the LPAC first, which is usually the starting point, and then you go to the entire investment base later, having a, a constant, uh, smooth exchange of information is definitely a creative in order to make these type of transactions happen. Do you kind of have a, an idea like, you know, if we get a certain critical mass of soft commitments, soft uh, yeses, I don't know what the term is, you know, then it's okay to go ahead with the spin out or? I think there's no risk free spin out where you spin out, you manage the legacy, you have a guarantee in the future, and by the way, you're making a lot of money. I mean, it's still an entrepreneurial endeavor. So you're still taking a level of risk, again, depending on the form and how you get it done. I would say that the more you were to mitigate the different risks associated, in particular with the fundraising, the better off you are. Again, in our specific case, I think that something which worked well was not only was an amicably engineered uh, spin-off with the support of the platform from which we're living, with the support of the investors, and with our full support, of course, but actually flexibility in, in order to make everything work. I want to stop here and ask you to imagine something. You've been working for a firm for X number of years, and one day on your way to the office, you have an idea, a small niggling thought in the back of your mind that maybe, just maybe, it could be an interesting idea to spin out. Maybe you talk it over with your husband, your wife, a family member, and the idea starts to become more real day by day. How do you bring this up with your colleagues? What if they think you're crazy? What if they're happy where they are and see your idea isn't up front? How do you broach the subject? Over a game of golf or over lunch? You can see where I'm going with this. Here's Carlo. I think it's important to formulate a plan on how to broach the subject, to whom, and in what sequence. My view is that you should make sure that if you have a co-head or a senior partner, you make sure you compare notes to make sure you're on the same page. Second, you go to the platform, disclose your plans, and if there's an agreement to be reached, then you may draft a preliminary term sheet. And once you have ideally identified a solution, 
on how you're going to implement that, you then in, involve in the discussion the largest investors or the advisory board with a view to keep them in the loop. I think it's very important that even if you technically, um, depending on the type of spin-out, you may not require their consent. However, you keep them involved in the discussion. Only then you go to the team and you end up having a number of one-to-one discussions because some individuals may not want to spin-out. So you need to, together with the platform, determine what the final perimeter of the spin-out is going to be. Carlo says you have to be very careful when it comes to having these sorts of conversations, both from an ethical and commercial point of view, as well as from a legal one. The bottom line, don't do anything that breaches your employment contract because in private equity, reputation matters a lot. I want to ask you about track record, Carlo. Um, You mentioned, obviously, that you had a a very amicable relationship and leaving, obviously, with the parent uh, organization. Track record is something that a lot of people talk about in terms of, you know, it's obviously very important to future fundraisers. How do you go about kind of ensuring that you can bring your track record with you and use it as part of your fundraising and and marketing and for your new outfit? What would your advice to people be on that? Well, to begin with, make sure you have a good one. Because if you don't have a good one, you probably don't want to bring it with you. <laughs> so <laughs> I think it's an aspect that uh, I have seen sometimes not fully considered. In short, the ideal situation is that you negotiate the ability to have full portability of the track record. Now, you need to understand that the platform to give you that has to be in a position to be able to do, to do that. In our case, it was pretty clear that TrackHack was 100% attributable to the individual we were leaving. There was nobody else in the platform that TrackHack could have been attributed to. The perimeter was very clear. So when we negotiated that, it became part of the agreement. Sometimes we have teams coming to us and say, well, I don't, my track record, yes, it's mine. If you ask some of my old LPs, they'll tell you what it is. I don't think that that works as well as having actually a properly negotiated provision which allows you to actually utilize because ultimately the track record is not just IR and TVPI but is actually the ability to show net and gross cash flows of the underlying funds having the ability to show some uh, transaction by transaction details so it is more than that so it is a very very important aspect which uh, should be taken in consideration when you move on. I want to ask you maybe a, a slightly funny question but it's probably actually maybe one of the most important questions about spinning out, and that is how to pick a name of your new firm. I totally agree with you. Again, it's another area where I think a lot of people underestimate the power of a name. There's a little story I like to tell. I remember the movie about Apple when Steve Jobs and his number two are in the car and debating how to call the company. And Wozniak says, well, why don't we call it the computer shop or something like that? And, and Jobs said, what are you talking about? Everybody's going to forget. That means nothing. It has to be a short name, no relation to the business, ideally with an A, so it's the top of the alphabetic list, and something which resonates. Apple, simple. So now Apple was taken, so we thought, what's not the right thing to do after that? <laughs> um, first of all, you need to actually look at the legal aspects, and it's not so much whether the name is registered with websites. In fact, what really matters is the trademark. So if, in fact, the name you're thinking of using has already been trademarked in the industry sector, you operate in the country where you think to operate. If you secure that, if someone else has the website, you can actually take the website away from them. So forget about towns, fish, birds, and stones. They're all taken. 
in private equity, they're all taken globally, unless you want to sound like another real estate or private equity or infrastructure fund. I don't think that just putting a .co.uk versus .com suffix changes anything. So at my view, and again, there are different views, it should not be an acronym of your initials and your daughters and sons and your best friends. That means a lot to you, means absolutely nothing for the rest of the world. You're probably wondering what Glendower means. Carlo says there's a road named Glendower in London, and it sounded like a good name for a firm. I checked this out. Glendower Road is actually just south of the Thames River to the east of the suburb of Barnes in southwest London. Carlo says Glendower was actually a famous Welsh hero who was known as something of an underdog, so to speak. I've got two last questions for you, Carlo. The first is, I mean, you mentioned in terms of the costs of spinning out, that that you were able to fund that with the fees from the legacy assets. For anyone thinking of spinning out, could you share some advice as to, I guess, really, you know, how much is it going to cost a team to do this? That's a good question. I don't have a number to put on it because it depends. The seniors, whether they have a fee they can leverage or not, they should expect to put all the money back into the firm to begin with, to build a team, to build infrastructure. You should be prepared to equitize some of the regulated entities, both in the UK or in the US, in our case, on the jurisdiction where you're going to operate. And that money is really money which, which is there. It's a sitting duck. It doesn't make any money. It's wasted money, if I can call it. But you, you have to put it in there. So there's an element of equitization. It's not a huge amount, but you need to equitize uh, regulated entities. And they have a number of running costs, which is the junior team rent a bunch of computers. Now, the good news is that today with uh, computing and cloud and this and that, you can set up yourself pretty rapidly with everything you need at a cost which is very manageable. I think that a good investment is also put money to work with uh, good lawyers. In our case, we continue to work with Debevoise, which was the same firm which uh, supported us uh, when we were at the bank. And that also provided good continuity, which helped us, but also our LPs in getting comfortable with the operational risk that we were undertaking. And also spending good money in making sure you have good compliance. And again, particularly when you spin out, the only business where you want to take risk is in making investments and the risk of raising more funds, but you don't want to take any execution, legal, tax, regulatory, reputational, any of those. So I I would encourage to definitely spend the money to manage those risks. But the seniors, they want, they should be prepared to put more money in than taking money out, whatever the source of those funds is. But it's not that expensive, actually, to set yourself up in these days. Uh, The question is, how rapidly can you bring investors with you, raise funds and scale up? Carlo says office space tends to be the biggest cost, and how you approach this is somewhat of a balancing act. So our view is to strive for a sort of something which looked good enough for clients to buy into what we're trying to do and support with our next fundraise. So not too cheap, because then people start wondering whether you are actually have the money, you're viable. Not too posh, because investors wonder why are you wasting money in that way. It has to strike the right balance and be operationally effective. And at least in central London and central uh, New York, there are plenty of different locations that you can look at and they can sometimes even with full IT in place and everything else. Depending on the level of funding that you have, you can choose the right spot for you. It's about three years since Carlo and his team spun out from Deutsche Bank and I wanted to ask him what he learned from the whole process. If he could go back in time and do anything again, what would he do differently? I think big, don't, don't think small. 
And the reality is that I remember what after we spun off, six months later, we started the discussion. We started looking at tweaking the cost structure, try to save in this and that. But we took the view that actually, if we focus on doing the right job for the investors, we'd have raised a good amount of money and we could have raised uh, even larger funds. And to the extent actually you do that, you have enough revenue. And so be generous with the team, hire top talent, don't try to take shortcuts. If you fail, actually you have to let go of everybody anyway. So it's a bit binary. So don't spend too much time focusing on the cost structure if you can afford to do that at the beginning because your real challenge is the top line. And the only way to achieve that is doing a fantastic job for your LPs. If you achieve that, you solve all the top line question, which means that the cost structure becomes much more manageable and simpler to determine. So I think we were inspired by these principles. Again, investors and clients first, do the best of your capability in a transparent way and try to hire the best talent and don't be a cheapskate. Make sure that pay market, don't overpay, but go for the right talent because that's the only way you can scale up the business. And if you do all of that and you do that with the best of your capabilities and your best commitment and energy, everything else takes care of by itself. So I'm sure we'll have uh, more challenges down the road and I'm sure we could have done something better here and there. But all in all, uh, I think thanks to a fantastic investor base and a fantastic team and fantastic counterparties on all fronts that we have managed to do all right so far. That again was Carlo Parizio Biroli, Managing Partner at Glendower Capital. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts, just head to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play or Podbean and search for PEI Spotlight or you can check us out on any of PEI Media's various titles online. That's all for now. I'm Adam Lay. Thanks for listening.